In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, our text is the gospel for this day which has been read. I call your attention to the words taken from our text, Matthew 18, verses 23 to 35. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant? as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. This is our text. The story is told that after the Bolshevik Revolution, the Russians nationalized all the land in a particular province, and the peasants were to give their quota of produce to the Soviet, the local council, and then share the remainder among themselves. But each peasant was allowed a small plot of land less than the size of your living room to cultivate in his spare time, if he wished. And after five years, the Soviet managers noticed that the crops raised for the community tended to be poor, dry, bug-eaten, and betrayed less care. But the garden crops the peasants raised for themselves were carefully cultivated, watered, and made free of insects. Five years of communist meetings, indoctrination, and slogans could not turn these peasants from working for themselves into working for others. Our Lord Jesus recognized the hardness of human hearts and portrayed in today's parable of the unforgiving servant. His point was that forgiveness will not come to us unless it flows through us to others. Now consider the parable. In the first place, the unforgiving servant lied. Have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Well, he couldn't do it. He either fooled himself or he sought to deceive his master, putting him off with words. Well, the master could see the truth. He saw that it was a hopeless situation. And the master sought to salvage the situation through forgiveness. The servant needed work. The master had work for him to do. Furthermore, the master sincerely loved his servants and wanted what was best for them. He could see no point to torturing this guy in prison. And so he forgave the debt. Now this is our reality, our relation with God. We owe him life, every pleasure, every relationship. So how much have you given to God today? Do you count your blessings? Do you reflect upon them with thankfulness and gratitude? Or are you more likely to count your disappointments, to reproach God for what didn't turn up? Your glass is half empty, so where's the rest of it? You immediately think. I'm not blaming you, because... That's the frame of mind I have to overcome. Many reject the burden of gratitude. The gratitude that we owe to God for all things. And instead they live in denial. 
We still believe that we are paying God back by not causing ourselves trouble. You know, talk to someone about whether they're a good person or not. Oh, I'm a good person. I deserve to go to heaven. Why? Because I haven't done anything to go to jail. Well, did you avoid crime because you were serving God or because you wanted to avoid going to jail? Most likely the latter. The sad fact is that many believe that they owe nothing for their life, health, family, education, country, just to mention a few of the big blessings that we so often take for granted. Now the unforgiving servant thought selfishly about his forgiveness and about his life. Why does he seek out the servant who owed him the hundred denarii? Well, before being forgiven, he'd have had to hand that hundred denarii over to his master for his own debt. But now he imagines that he can claim that sum for himself. Well, you know from the parable, the money isn't there. But the feeling of power is. He felt powerful having his fellow servant beg him for clemency. He felt power having his fellow servant kicking and screaming, thrown into jail. You and I are tempted by similar things. There's a popular phrase that is very expressive. I own you. In our middle class way, we parents shame our children who have not yet made a living. We let them know how superior we are and how much they owe us and then wonder why they can't wait to get out on their own and move away from us. I've known parents who made their children dependent on them so they can always feel superior, even to the extent of sabotaging their children's marriages so that the child will come home and they can rule the grandchildren. So desperately evil is the human heart. For we love to feel superior to others. That's why we love to bring up past offenses. And you know who we do this with? The members of our families. Quite often with our spouses. We like to bring up how they've disappointed us in the past and lord it over them, make them feel obligated to do more stuff to make up for it. We love to see them grovel and beg. We even let such things define our relationships so that our children are defined as those who are dependent on us. Sometimes husband and wife make this kind of corrupt bargain where dependency is what defines their relationship. And then when the man loses his job or the woman loses her beauty, the relationship faces a crisis. These feelings of superiority and entitlement are based on the lie that we stand debtless before God. For all things are given to us for the sake of service. Service to God and to our fellow servants. Now the master summoned the unforgiving servant to judgment. For he had stolen from the master. 
In throwing his fellow servant into jail, he was depriving his master of a servant. In demanding the hundred denarii for himself, he was depriving his master of what he could have used to satisfy a part, a small part of his debts and show good faith. In causing fear and pain to other servants, he disrupted the whole house and he was oblivious to all the pain and the harm that he was causing. We do the same thing. Our lack of forgiveness, our holding on to resentments, our calling attention to evil magnifies it in everyone's lives. Our desire to cause others pain gets them to fear us instead of God. So instead of thanking God for the blessings in their life, they're questioning God for the problems and pains we are causing. Whatever the debt owed us, Christ has paid for it. Whatever you have suffered, Christ has suffered more. That's why we spend time in meditation before the cross, not in morbidly contemplating the death of this innocent victim, but rather seeing that our debt is paid through the shedding of his blood. That we might see our sins laid on him, our debts placed on him, and if anyone owes us anything, to know that Christ has more than covered it. He died not only that you and I could have forgiveness, but that we might share forgiveness. For the Master wants us to receive and enjoy the blessings of forgiveness. So let go and let God, let go of resentment, let go of worry, let go of anxiety and envy. This is the peace beyond understanding when we can let go let God deal with it. Surrender our feelings. And as Paul says, whatever is good, right, lovely, and worthy of praise, keep these things in mind. Forgiving others is not a quid pro quo. We forgive in order that we can get it. Forgiving others is instead a healing. A healing that gradually enables us to let go. And the first step is to desire. Pray for that peace, that ability to forgive, that opportunity to heal. And it helps to distinguish forgiveness from denial. For you see, forgiveness is offered from the position of truth. And denial is a denial of that truth. It's a lie. Forgiveness is not the same as denial. When you forgive, you may still have pain or loss. Don't deny this. It's true. We forgive despite the pain, despite the loss. So many people imagine that forgiveness is denial in this sense. Furthermore, there are lessons to be learned from every injury, debt, suffering. If I loan my car to a friend and he wrecks it, well, I've learned not to loan him the car again. 
not as punishment, but simply to learn. He can't handle the car, and I can't afford the repairs. We learn from that experience, and in forgiveness, move on from there. Maybe someone said something to hurt my feelings, and I've learned not to discuss politics or sensitive issues with that person again. It may present temptations that my friend or I find impossible to overcome. So don't allow the same temptation to recur. There was a congregation whose treasurer turned out to be dishonest. He sincerely repented. They forgave him, but they were wise enough to learn from the experience and not place that man in that position again where he would again be tempted. Yes, we need to learn from our experiences even as we forgive those who have harmed us, disappointed us, or offended us. And a final issue that we must distinguish in identifying forgiveness and denial, do you have the standing to forgive? If the debt was not to you, then you don't have the standing to forgive. A man may confess to you that he beat his wife. You do not have the standing to forgive him. You should make peace with the one he has offended and not seek enabling from you. And if someone confesses a sin against God, by all means assure them of Jesus' forgiveness. Encourage them to take it to the Lord, to find forgiveness and guidance and direction from Him. But it's often prudent to direct that person to one of the Lord's representatives, someone in the pastoral ministry who has experience and understanding and may be able to give prudent guidance in the often complex situations of sin. Now when you forgive, some may acknowledge their debt and value their forgiveness. Often forgiveness can be a relationship-changing experience in which an enemy is converted into a friend. Resentment and hatred is converted into friendship and goodwill. Praise be to God for these changes in our lives. I personally was blessed as a child. I hated my sister for 12 years. And then in high school we became friends. What a blessing that mutual forgiveness and acceptance was in my life. Showed the power of God to bless our day-to-day -day living. But for others, we must rely on Christ's example on the cross when he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Christ didn't wait for an apology. He forgave beforehand. So you and I don't need to wait for an apology from others in order to extend forgiveness to them. We can pray as Christ did that they might see their sin and how it's hurting themselves, that they might be freed from this deception and pursue what is right. Not for our sake, but for Christ's sake and for the sake of many others. This is so important. Our Lord put it in the Lord's prayer. Forgive us our debts 
as we forgive our debtors, or more familiarly, forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Luther observes in the small catechism that we here ask for forgiveness of sins of which we are unaware. And just as there are those who may sin against us in small ways and we just let it go, so we ourselves often are forgiven without realizing it. The unforgiving servant was blind and deceived about himself, imagining that his debt wasn't all that bad and regarding the smaller debt to himself as worthy of punishment. And he was oblivious to what his actions caused his fellow servants and his master. He thought in his blindness that he could hold on to his own forgiveness without sharing forgiveness with others. Well, Christ said the truth shall make you free. May we be made free of judgment by acknowledging the truth of our debt to God and the greater truth of the gift of forgiveness through Christ. And in view of this awe-inspiring truth, see the debts owed to us in their true scale, forgiving them out of the bounty supplied by Jesus Christ. And as a result, enjoying his surpassing peace. Amen. Amen. Now, may that peace of God that surpasses understanding keep your hearts and minds in the true faith unto life eternal. Amen. Amen.